you are listening to Catechesis on Radio Maria. Today we have a very special session with Father Luke Goimo, who is here in the studio. Welcome, Father Luke. Hello, it's good to be here. Thank you for coming all the way from Suffolk. <laughs> Suffolk, Brandon, Brandon and Mildenhall. Brandon, thank you so much. You might well recognise Father Luke's voice or know his know him. He is often on our weekly Friday morning programme, Questions of Faith, and he's done a whole, one of our first ever series, Heroes of Faith, which was rebroadcast over the summer. And he's also involved with uh, Ignite, the um, youth movement in East Anglia. And today, Father Luke is giving the first part of a three-day retreat. The second part will be tomorrow at 11.15am and the third part on Thursday at 115 And the title is Journey Towards Advent with St. Luke. So it's St. Luke with Father Luke. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Father Luke. Over to you. That's wonderful. Thank you very much, Elizabeth. So in this uh, retreat, let's begin by reminding ourselves that we are in the presence of Almighty God. And let us make the sign of the cross in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In a few moments, I will share with you from the Word of God, the Gospel according to Luke, my favourite Gospel, funnily enough. But this is very much a a different kind of catechetical programme today. It is a retreat. And so I would encourage you, if you have a Bible, to have that with you. We're going to be looking at the first chapter of St. Luke. And throughout the talk this afternoon, I will raise certain questions which might be helpful for you to reflect on and take into your own prayer time, either later today or during the week. So I would encourage you, if you have a pen or paper handy, just to jot down some of those questions or anything that might um, jump out at you during this time of prayer and reflection in order to help you to enter into this retreat. Okay, a reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Since many have undertaken to set down on orderly account of the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed on to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, I too decided, after investigating everything carefully from the very first, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed. In the days of King Herod of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren and both were getting on in years. Once, when he was serving as priest before God, and his section was on duty, He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. Now, at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and fear overwhelmed him. 
But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know that this is so? For I am an old man and my wife is getting on in years. The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak, until the day these things occur. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered at his delay in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he could not speak to them, and they realised that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept motioning to them and remained unable to speak. When his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she remained in seclusion. She said, This is what the Lord has done for me, when he looked favourably on me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, that was a long reading, the longest of the three readings we're going to have as we dive in to the first part of St. Luke's Gospel as we journey towards Advent, which of course begins this Sunday. I suppose if we wanted to sum up the beginning of St. Luke's Gospel, three words could be preparation, Preparation, preparation. All right, it's the same word three times, but you know the speech. Luke is a master storyteller. So notice how he begins by displaying his credentials, which he does in the style of contemporary Greek literature. He gives us this prologue in his dedication to Theophilus, a name which translates simply as lover of God. And perhaps in this way, Luke is addressing his gospel to all who are lovers of God. So if we love God, and I hope we do, then Luke's gospel, brothers and sisters, is addressed to us. Now, the story that Luke will tell us is the story of Jesus. But notice, though, how Luke doesn't mention Jesus' name for the first 30 verses. It's extraordinary. He goes at great lengths to lay down the foundation for his story as if he is building a great structure. He knows what he's doing. He's crafting a masterpiece here, carefully and wonderfully proclaiming God's good news with his pen. And perhaps it is 
this artistic flair that has made St Luke the patron saint of artists and artisans. So after laying these foundation, Luke then gives us the opening event, and what a dramatic event it is. The Annunciation of John the Baptist's birth. Straight away, we are gripped with the peculiar um, nature of this human drama. Picture the scene, if you will. An old man, who is of the line of priests, sees an angel, then he's struck dumb, and then his elderly wife falls pregnant. <laughs> it's almost comical. What a strange old couple they would have appeared to be. Luke indicates that there's something very unusual about this couple and that God is going to do something in an extraordinary way in them. The biblical scholar and retired Anglican bishop, Tom Wright, puts it rather wonderfully. He says, through this all-too-human story of puzzlement, half-faith and dogged devotion to duty, God's saving purpose is going to be dramatically advanced. And it's a beautiful quote. Half-faith, puzzlement, dogged devotion, and God's saving purpose is going to be advanced through all of that in this beautiful, beautiful drama. Now, Zachariah, let's look at Zachariah first, OK? Zachariah is an interesting character. His name means the Lord remembers. Now, remembrance for God is not the same as it is for us. It's not as if God forgets. No, remembering and remembrance in the biblical sense means that God acts, that God manifests, that God is made present. Zachariah's name is a promise, a promise that God will act, that he will make his power known in him. It is both a hope and a promise. Both Zachariah and his wife Elizabeth belong to the tribe of Aaron, a priestly tribe. Notice also that before he makes mention of the fact that the couple are childless, Luke emphasises that they were worthy in the sight of God. Now this is an important point. He wants to undo any suspicion that Elizabeth's barrenness was due to any punishment from God. You see, in the ancient world, many people would see barrenness as a curse from God. Not so. God does not work like this, not now. Something new is happening here. Both are advanced in years, which explains their childlessness now, but it's not until Luke mentions the barrenness that the full picture begins to come into focus. Now, in the biblical mindset, it's understandable how barrenness could be seen as a curse, for fertility is a biblical image of God's abundant blessing. You know, it's significant that when God makes or re-establishes a covenant, he follows it with the command, go forth and multiply. To bring about life, to be co-creators with God, is a sign of his blessing. The situation, the situation, of course, is not hopeless. 
Elizabeth stands in a long line of Old Testament women. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, the mother of Samson, and Hannah were all barren, and their barrenness was not a barrier to the promise of God. The barrenness of Elizabeth is different, though, for it is through her barrenness that God will bring great blessing. Perhaps it's worth reflecting for a moment on barrenness. What what is our barrenness? What brings us up short? What is it that we can be fooled into thinking as a barrier for God's promise in our lives? You might want to write those questions down and think about them in prayer. What is our barrenness? What brings us up short? What is it that we can be fooled into thinking as a barrier for God's promise in our lives? In many ways, the last 20 months or so may have felt like a time of barrenness for us. We've been in lockdowns. We've had restrictions placed on the sacraments and our life of worship. We have suffered bereavements. There has been unrest. The things that we may have taken for granted, the things we have put our securities in, those things which seem fixed and certain were no more, and we were left with uncertainties. As Catholics, as Christians, we suffered real loss with the closure of our churches. The spiritual desert and barrenness we have collectively experienced And the challenge of finding new ways to keep the Lord's day holy has been difficult and painful. We've struggled to make sense of the global crisis and even of decisions made by church leaders to protect our health and well-being. People's reactions to church closures and reopenings have covered a whole spectrum from gratitude to anger and frustration. However, As the church, as the people of God, we are called always to read the signs of the times in light of our faith. We are called to hope. So in the midst of this darkness, in the midst of everything we have faced so far in this pandemic, we need to ask, is God speaking right now? How do we hear and see God in this moment? How do we listen for his voice? How do we move from barrenness to blessing? These are important points to sit with in prayer. Whether we are, and whatever the answer to these questions might be for us, we should be hopeful as we approach Advent, a season of hope. We are reminded that our hope And our trust is in him who came to share our humanity so that we could share in his divinity. Hope is not some vague feeling of optimism. It's a theological virtue. It's an animating force in our lives. Hope drives us forward to heaven. In fact, Pope Francis goes on to say that our salvation relies on our hope. We may be tired. We may at times be fed up, dejected, and even think we are far away from God. But we have hope. We must have hope.
you are listening to Radio Maria. And this afternoon, we have with us here in the studio Father Luke Goimo, who is giving us a pre-Advent retreat, Journey Towards Advent with St. Luke. Thank you, Elizabeth. So we come back to our text as we look at the Annunciation of John the Baptist's birth. The birth of John the Baptist is set within the tradition of the Old Testament prophets. There's a clear parallel here between the announcement to Abraham at the birth of Isaac. The announcement is made to an old man who acts with a mixture of fear and awe. The Annunciation of the Baptist then occurs in a context highly flavoured, as it were, by the Old Covenant. Not only does John appear as one more in a line of miraculous births from the Old Testament, he is also um, instructed that he should not drink wine nor take strong drink. And this aligns him with the priestly tradition articulated in Leviticus, particularly chapters 10 verse 9, where it says, Concerning the priests that are consecrated to God, it is said, Drink no wine or strong drink, you nor your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. Pope Emeritus Benedict, in his great work, Jesus of Nazareth, sums this up well. He writes, John, who will be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, lives permanently, as it were, in the tent of meeting. He is a priest not only at certain moments, but with his whole existence. And in this way, he proclaims the new priesthood that will appear with Jesus. That's on page 22 of his 2012 publication, which I think must be volume three, the infancy narratives. In a sense, John the Baptist is the best that the old covenant has to offer. He is the link between the old and new covenant. He is the forerunner. He prepares a way. He is the bridge to the gospel and to Jesus. Now let's just think about John and his message for a moment, because he's going to be very much a central figure in the first few weeks of Advent. John comes to make the way straight, to prepare the world for the God-man. His message will be one of repentance. We are to make a way for the Lord. We are to clear a path. We are to repent and be renewed, for the kingdom of God is at hand. To be sure, there can always be a pharisaical dimension to us if we're trying to make a path straight. You know, it's very easy to go through all the motions of renewal, of faith. Mass on Sunday, say our prayers, even preach a few radio retreats. Uh, but we must remember 
that we are always being challenged to grow in our faith and bear fruit. Hope, divine hope, moves us past any pharisaical tendencies and spurs us onwards to true renewal and Christian conversion. What John will summon us to as an adult, is a total commitment and renewal of our whole life which goes beyond the limitations of this world. So when he grows up, John will be a charismatic preacher. His very presence will attract the crowd to him. People will flock to see this strange man preaching this message on the banks of the Jordan. He will be a true witness of God's presence in the world. And he was a true witness, not least because of his authenticity. He was authentic. His message was backed up. It was underpinned by his radical way of life. The message and the man were the same. And this is a challenge to us. Does our way of life reflect the message we preach? People instinctively recognise authenticity, the young even more so. And we too have the ability to discern an authentic witness. When we find a witness who communicates life, we are drawn to them, much like a, a moth is drawn to a flame. And so people were drawn to John, but he was quick to remind people that he, he was not the Christ. He must decrease so that Christ can increase. John is not the light. All he can do is point to the light. So we too are called to draw people not to ourselves, not to our way of thinking and doing, not to our ideological views. No, we are called to point people to Christ the light and our lives are to be signposts to the true light who has come into the world. And we do this by being willing to make and continue the journey of conversion, of renewal and repentance. And this journey incarnates authenticity. In other words, the gospel becomes flesh in us. By being willing to be converted, by walking the path that Christ calls us to walk, we begin to live with a degree of authenticity that others will instinctively notice. We will draw people to the light as we too are drawn more and more into the light. John the Baptist is someone who is rooted in the word of God. He will encounter the word made flesh on the banks of the Jordan. John is the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, but that word is what he cries. The word is what he speaks. 
John is the voice, but Christ is the word. Like John, we have to encounter the word of God. We have to allow the word to take root deep within us. We must learn to read and pray with the scriptures, to hear the word proclaimed to us at mass. But this spoken and read word must lead us to the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. Like John, we have a mission. We have a role to play. We are called to encounter the word deep within our hearts so that we can speak the word, the word of life, the word of God with our daily lives. This afternoon we're joined by Father Luke Goimo who is giving the first part of his pre-Advent retreat, Journey Towards Advent with St Luke. Thank you Elizabeth. So we've been looking at um, the first part of St Luke's Gospel and the Annunciation of John the Baptist's birth to Zachariah and Elizabeth. So let's return to our text. Let's think about Zachariah and Elizabeth. I think it's worth remembering that this event that occurs in the lives of both of them was something that was completely new. You know, they were not expecting any of this. They were simply good, practising Jews going about their daily business. They would have lived outside of Jerusalem in the Judean hill country. As an aside, I was uh, fortunate enough, um, must have been about 12 years ago now, to go to the Holy Land. And we went to the Judean hill country in the place of um, the visitation, which we will look at uh, in, uh, in a, f- a few days time. But it's an extraordinary sort of uh, place when a hill country overlooks um, Jerusalem, very barren in one sense. And as a priest, Zachariah would have come into the city when it was his turn or the turn of his division to perform the temple liturgy. The priests who officiated in the temple were divided into 24 groups and each group would serve one week every six months. The biblical scholar, Dennis McBride, comments... There were so many priests in service, 18,000, but it was a rare privilege for a priest to officiate, an honour which happened probably only once in his lifetime if he were fortunate. Thus, it must have been a momentous day for Zachariah as he enters the Holy of Holies to offer incense, a symbol of prayer of the people who are making their prayers and petitions to God outside. Of course, that's a big part of what a priest does, offers prayers and sacrifice on behalf of the people. The announcement of the angel to Zechariah is one of joy and gladness, not just for his parents, but for all peoples. Zechariah not unlike Abraham before him, reacts 
cautiously, reminding the supernatural visitor, in case he'd forgotten, about mere mortal problems, you know, the limitations of old age. Now, it can be very easy for us to get, um, you know, to be hard on Zachariah here, when in fact, at times, if we're honest, we can be much like Zachariah ourselves. You know, God can and does break into our lives. He opens doors. He does something new, something that might just take take us a, a little bit out of our comfort zones. And what is our response? We tell him why it's impossible, why it can't be done, why it's not convenient. <laughs> God has made a mistake. He must choose somebody else, we might say. Zachariah, you see, is concerned with human problems. He is looking through the eyes of humans, whilst the angel is concerned with the power of God. And this, this is another point of reflection for us. What does the power of God look like in our lives? Do you know, would we recognise the power of God if we saw it? In other words, what would we expect God's power to look like in our lives? If you've got a pen or a pencil, write that down, take that to prayer. What does God's power look like in our lives? What do we expect God's power to look like in our lives? Note how Luke is careful, though. He's not going to dress up the story by making Zachariah a great hero of faith. He needs a sign to convince him what he is doing. And so he is given a sign, albeit in the form of a punishment. He is struck dumb. So this dark comedy continues as the silent priest comes out of the temple and gestures to the people of what has just taken place. The account concludes, of course, with joy. A mother's joy. Elizabeth's unexpected joy at her unexpected pregnancy. Elizabeth is blessed by a gracious God. God is a God of blessing and whatever is going on in our lives, God wants to bless us. So let us turn to him now, even if we feel barren, dejected and hopeless. In fact, especially if we feel barren, let us turn to him, confident that God wants to bless us, that God wants what is best for us. So we're coming into land now. We've journeyed through the, the first opening section of um, St. Luke, looking at this Annunciation narrative of John the Baptist's birth. 
And the whole narrative, the Annunciation of the Baptist, is, of course, a preparation. A preparation for the even more miraculous Annunciation, conception and birth of Jesus Christ. Both stories are reminders to us that God regularly works in and through ordinary people doing what they normally do, who, with a mixture of half-faith and devotion, are holding themselves ready for whatever God has in mind. This story is about much more than Zachariah and Elizabeth's joy. It's about a God who keeps his promises and fulfills his purposes in the most unlikely of human settings. And this narrative confronts us with the reality and the ordinariness of our own humanity. And it drives us to ask and to reflect, where are the situations in my life where I expect God to act? And where am I surprised by God's action? Well, I hope you have found this opening session of our retreat helpful. Um, tomorrow we will continue our reflection, looking at the Annunciation of Jesus's birth. And then the final session will look at Mary's visit to Elizabeth. But let's close now with a short time of prayer and say together those words that Jesus gave us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And I just pray God's blessing upon you, upon all of your loved ones, and upon your families, and all of you as we journey together towards Advent. May the Lord bless and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he fill you with his love and grant you peace all the days of your life in his presence. And may the blessing of Almighty God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit come down upon you and remain with you forevermore. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Luke. We look forward to welcoming you back tomorrow at 11.15am. 